0: old Pilots Plane Tales The Hovercushion Glide Air Vehicle Thing The plural of hovercraft is hovercraft, but not all hovercraft are called hovercraft, it being a name coined by Sir Christopher Sidney Cockrell and became the trademark of Saunders Row Corporation, the maker of the first practical commercial air cushion vehicle, or ACV. Claimants to the throne of being the first to develop a hovering craft are numerous. Most popped up soon after the Second World War, but in fact the theory stretches back way before that. The notion of crafting a hovering vehicle goes at least as far back as 1714, when the eminent Swedish scientist Immanuel Swedenborg sketched the concept in a notebook and first used the term hovering. He termed it a machine to fly in the air and it resembled an oval dome-shaped frame braced with struts and covered with material. On the top there was a hole and a space for a man to sit. With his feet he would power paddles that drew air into the frame from above until it lifted into the air. However, he had many other interests, including anatomy and physiology, and as Dr. Steff could undoubtedly tell us, he correctly deduced the organisation of the nervous system. His studies also took him into metallurgy, until a religious fervour overcame him and he pursued more spiritual work, forming a religious movement termed the New Church. There was, sadly, no longer room for a hovercraft in his life, and his concept would remain forever on the drawing board. Travelling forward in time on a near frictionless cushion of air, we discover that Dagober Müller von Tarmamow, a sharp-witted and clever Austro-Hungarian naval officer who was perhaps better known for developing ways of sinking boats with torpedoes than building ones that hovered. This is all very apt, as the best-ever reference for a hovercraft or Luftkissenfahrzeug comes from the Monty Python's Dirty Hungarian Phrasebook sketch. Mein Luftkissenfahrzeug ist voller Aale. My hovercraft is full of eels. His 1916 air pillow boat, a luftkissen Gliedboot, was a great concept in fast attack boats. Shaped like a deep aerofoil about 4 metres, that's 13 foot wide, and about three times that in length, it was a forerunner of later ground-effect vehicles. In the 1870s, the British shipbuilder Sir John Isaac Thornycroft, well known for building early motor torpedo boats, had already come up with the idea of using air directed under a boat's hull to lift it out of the water to increase speed and reduce drag, which he called a hovercraft. His design involved a hollow-bottomed boat filled with compressed air, and this effort was followed by a Swedish engineer, Hans Deinson. Who added flexible rubber cushion seals to his design? The difference with Dagobert's Gleitboot was that it employed an extra engine mounted in a duct which forced air directly into a chamber partially enclosed by the sides of the craft, increasing the pressure of air beneath his structure and increasing its efficiency. Indeed, it could reach 32 knots, and because it ran across the surface of the water, it could avoid torpedoes and mines. Sadly, it didn't have enough clearance to cope with rough water, and was not easy to steer. These fast boats were all more properly described as ground-effect vehicles and were incapable of hovering while stationary or travelling over land. As such, they can only be considered a distant cousin of the true hovercraft. So, what constitutes a proper hovercraft? For most people it's a vehicle that is lifted on a cushion of air and is capable of travelling over land, water, mud, ice, tarmac, sand and many other flattish surfaces but isn't designed to fly over cliffs, climb trees or, come to that, scale mountains. It classically employs a blower of some kind to direct a large volume of air below the hull such that the pressure there exceeds that of the ambient air. This causes the hull to float above the running surface. The region of trapped air that the cushion-glide vehicle thing floats on is called the plenum chamber, derived from the Latin plenus, meaning filled or full, and was coined in the 17th century as an opposite to vacuum, so that all things were either plenum or vacuum. The plenum chamber is covered on top by the hull and on the sides by a skirt, and the increased pressure created by the blower presses on all sides equally. This includes the ground under the machine. When the pressure exceeds the weight of the air vehicle thing, it pushes the ground away and rises up. In this floating state, the hover-cushion-glide air vehicle thing is held completely out of the water or above the ground, ice, mud, tarmac, sand, or whatever, and is supported solely by the pressure of air within the plenum chamber. There are quite a few who can take some credit for inventing this odd state of affairs. We must first acknowledge Konstantin Salkovich, the man who did the maths in around 1926 he went on to less important work, such as a way to calculate the minimum horizontal speed to achieve orbit around the Earth using multi-staged rockets. And his books on rocketry would be much studied by Werner von Braun, but his work on the hovercraft was obviously his crowning achievement and the pinnacle of his career. Around 1930, Andrew Kircher of the Ford Motor Company Vice President for Engineering and Research apparently conceived the idea of a hover car, but it wouldn't actually make an appearance for some twenty years, and then only as an advert in Boys Life magazine. The Mac One and its smaller scooter variant, the Lever Scooter, would eventually be mocked up as concept vehicles but were perhaps limited in real-life applications, as they only rose to a quarter of an inch in the air, a few millimetres, and would be defeated by obstacles higher than that. In 1937, a team of Soviet engineers, led by Vladimir Yisraelovich Lekov, designed the L1 hovering tank. Weighing a mere eight and a half tons, this weapon of war was armored with 13 mil steel plates and carried a 303 machine gun. It was going to wreak havoc at 73 miles an hour up and down swampy, sandy and waterbound areas where other vehicles couldn't travel. It made it to a quarter scale model, but no further. In the same year as the known in the West as the amphibious flying tank was developed and discarded, the Finnish aero engineer Tuivo J. Cario was developing a prototype Pintolita. surface sora. The Finnish device included a lift engine blowing air into a flexible envelope, but it was soon finished when funding dried up. The next on the list was the Glide Mobile, the American engineer Charles Fletcher's idea. His air-cushioned vehicle looked remarkably similar to modern racing hovercraft, and Fletcher was no slouch in the inventing game. He had a BA in aeronautical engineering from New York University and was the president of a manufacturing company. He contributed to the North American X-15 hypersonic experimental aircraft and worked on the test version of the lunar landing module, holding 15 patents on vertical lift and rocket motors alone. The Glidemobile looks remarkably like later hovercraft designs, with a small open cockpit in front of a large ducted lift engine. From the plenum chamber there are four sets of louvres, one at each corner, that can direct air for steering and propulsion, unlike better designs which employ separate thrust engines. Fletcher's ideas were hampered somewhat by the American military during the Second World War when they appropriated his design, classified it and prevented him from taking out a patent. However, the military did nothing to develop the idea and it wasn't until 1985 when a lawsuit was brought by British Hovercraft Limited against the United States, seeking royalties of $104 million that proof was sought. The US Department of Justice found an old edition of Design News which featured an article on Fletcher's hovercraft and Fletcher himself was tracked down. He produced records on the project, which included 16mm films of the Glide Mobile, conceptual drawings, subsequent work, model flight trials, and various news articles, which made it somewhat impossible for British hovercraft to prove their case. Melville Beardsley was another American who hovered around the edges of air cushion vehicle design. An ex-Army Corps pilot, he worked on a Navy hydrofoil project in California in the 50s and his work led him to autonomously develop a practical hovercraft utilising a skirt and a form of peripheral airflow which is essential for efficient hovering. A patent dispute developed in the 60s between Beardsley and a British inventor and Beardsley's patent rights were purchased from him. Despite this, he continued to develop ACVs, including one called Little Skimmer, and he later worked with the Naval Ship Research and Development Center on the large ACVs that would be used by the US military. Despite all these earlier efforts, though, the first man who had the drive, the engineering skill and the determination to make a truly successful go at developing the hovercraft into a practical and successful prospect was Sir Christopher Sidney Cockerell. Like the other inventors, engineers, scientists and mathematicians mentioned, Sir Christopher was no one-trick pony. He had been well-educated, matriculating at Peterhouse and reading mechanical engineering at Cambridge, returning later to study radio and electronics. He worked at the Radio Research Company and then for Marconi, leading a research team at the famous Rittle Hut, the home of experimental radio transmissions to aircraft in 1919 and trial broadcasts to the British public in 1922. He worked on many systems, including radar, radio location technology and the first equipment used by the BBC in Alexandra Palace. After leaving Marconi, he bought a small boat and caravan hire company called a Ripple Craft, and like those who went before, began to experiment in ways of making his boats go faster and more efficiently by partly raising them out of the water. His breakthrough came when, independent of other inventors, he designed a craft that could rise completely out of the water. He moved away from the idea of creating a large plenum chamber under the craft to channeling a narrow jet of air around the perimeter of the hull, creating what he called a momentum curtain. This wall of fast-moving air would limit the amount of pressure that could leak out, maintaining a cushion of air that could support the craft with a much smaller engine. His initial modest experiments were made using a couple of tin cans and a vacuum cleaner, but the results encouraged him to move forwards. It took him several years and so much money that he was forced to sell personal possessions to fund his research, but by 1955 he had a working model built and had filed for his first hovercraft patent, number GB854211. The patent included such phrases as A vehicle which comprises means for causing a fluid to issue from the lower part of the vehicle. "'so as to result in the formation of a pressurised cushion or cushions "'by which the vehicle is wholly or partly supported.' "'Like Fletcher's Glide-mobile, "'the British military put Cockerell's hovercraft on the secret list, "'but he later joked that, "'The Navy said it was a plane, not a boat. "'The Air Force said it was a boat, not a plane. "'The Army was plain not interested Now declassified, Sir Christopher convinced the National Research Development Council to fund the hovercraft's development. And they placed a contract with Saunders Row, the flying boat and marine craft manufacturer, to construct the Saunders Row Nautical One, SRN1, the world's first practical hovercraft. It first took to the air, albeit not very high, in June 1959, and the very next month it made its famed and successful crossing of the English Channel, proving its effectiveness as a high-speed transport option for both land and sea. The Duke of Edinburgh visited the company and persuaded the chief test pilot to let him take the controls. He flew it so fast that the machine's bow was dished a little by the pressure of water, damage that was never repaired and was from then on affectionately referred to as the Royal Dent. At a cruising height of around 9 inches, that's 23 centimetres, later versions would benefit from a double-walled extension of the sides, a four-foot-high rubberized skirt and subsequent development of slots known as fingers equipped with individual extensions that could accommodate obstacles without deforming. Even before the modifications, the hovercraft could traverse obstacles four feet, that's over a meter high, as high as the level of the deck. With these improvements, military forces of many countries took an interest, as did search and rescue organisations and commercial operations. The very first model, the SRN-1, proved capable of carrying two crew and a complement of 12 marines, but later versions had a much improved performance. The company Hover Travel ordered first a 38, then 98, and finally a 130-seat hovercraft. As of 2004, they had moved over 20 million passengers in comfort and safety. Lloyd ran a car-carrying version that took 30 cars and 254 passengers between Dover in England and Calais and Boulogne in France. Later versions could carry nearly double these numbers, and in a speedy hovercraft, the crossing to France took a mere 30 minutes. The early success of the hovercraft was blunted by increased fuel prices and competition from fast catamarans and more economical ferries. The building of the cross-channel tunnel added additional competition. Despite this, the hovercraft has been put to many other, often niche, uses. Providing transport over difficult terrain is a speciality of the hovercraft and they are often used as rescue boats. They can be encountered as far afield as Madagascar and Alaska, and many places in between. In the military, their abilities provide the unique function of being able to carry troops and tanks from the sea, a river or marsh, up onto dry land and beyond. As such, they have been employed by the British Marines, the US Navy, the Finns, the Iranians, Japanese, Chinese, and in great numbers by Soviet forces. The Soviet Zuba-class air-cushioned landing craft is the world's largest, displacing 555 tons. Other uses of hovering technology can still be seen everywhere, from hovering transport flatbeds, hovering lawnmowers, recreational one-man racing hovercraft, and even to the traditional English Lord's Cricket Ground which has a hovering rain cover that can be moved easily and rapidly into position to protect the hallowed turf. However, the hovercraft has never really taken off, so to speak, and is something of a rare beast. In an interview before his passing in 1999, Sir Christopher remarked on the lack of financial success the hovercraft bought him. It would have been nice, he said, to treat my wife to dinner once in a while. Actually, his patents for the hovercraft and other inventions did provide what he conceded was a reasonable living, but they certainly didn't make him a fortune. Tales is a featured segment of the Airline Pilot Guy show. You can find us at airlinepilotguy.com. However, we also have our own RSS feed and you can find Plaintails on any podcasting app. If you'd like to help us out, why not leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or mention us on social media. We'd be very grateful.